A note before we begin. This episode contains discussions of suicidal ideation. Listener discretion is advised, especially for those under 13. If you or someone you know is experiencing suicidal thoughts, don't hesitate to call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 800-273-8255. There is help. The human mind is hardwired to look for connections. It's how we make sense of the constant flood of information that bombards us every day from every angle. And it's never more important than when we're in pain. We often try to give our suffering meaning. We're always looking for a narrative arc with a beginning, a middle, and most importantly, an end. But when we look for connections that aren't there, we run the risk of turning a tragic, terrible story into something much worse. A myth. I'm Sarah Turney, and this is Disappearances, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Thursday, I'll discuss a new missing person case ripped from history. I want to better understand the many reasons people disappear and the impact their absences can have on those left behind. Today, I'd like you to meet a conceptual artist named Basian Otter. His life's work was telling stories full of mystery and open-ended questions. So when Basian went missing at sea in 1975, some people didn't see it as a disappearance. To them, it was a work of art. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Take something iconic like the all-electric 2024 Fiat 500e. Add something electrica. Bring the swagger. And an Italian icon is remixed and ready to drop with its available premium JBL audio system. Tap the banner to learn more. Fiat is a registered trademark of FCA Group Marketing SPA, used under license by FCA US LLC. Okay, now we're headed into some uncharted territory for me. The world of conceptual art. So, fair warning, things are about to get a little heavy on ideas. See, at his core, Basian Otter was an artist, in every sense of the word. He considered his work an extension of himself, infusing it in everything he did, blurring the lines between life and art, reality and pretend. Which is why people are still so obsessed with his disappearance. 
But before I get too far ahead of myself, I want to take you back to the last day Basian Otter was ever seen. July 9th, 1975. It's a beautiful, sunny day in Chatham, Massachusetts. There aren't many people around, but there's a charged energy in the air from the anticipation of a new, exciting adventure. Basian is about to embark on the voyage of a lifetime. The trip itself will be the second chapter in a three-part art project called In Search of the Miraculous. Basian's already completed the project's first installment back in Los Angeles, where he and his wife currently live. It was a series of inky, black-and-white photographs of Basian walking through Los Angeles alone at night with a flashlight. You can find digital copies of most of them online today. As the series goes on, Basian wanders further and further away from civilization. Away from his friends, away from his life. He appears walking down a freeway, with cars zooming past. Then on a hilltop, looking over the lights of Los Angeles. And the last photograph is a snapshot of Basian standing in front of the ocean at night. It's almost impossible to see his silhouette on the dimly lit beach. He intended for the sea to be a real focal point in the series. The third part of the project will take him back to his home country, the Netherlands. It'll be another series of photographs taken in Amsterdam, mirroring the ones in LA. He likes the idea of an endless search, the hope of something at the end when there may be nothing at all. But before he can take those photographs in Amsterdam, he needs to complete the second and most challenging chapter of In Search of the Miraculous. A solo voyage across the Atlantic Ocean. Basian plans to sail from Chatham, Massachusetts all the way to England, thousands of miles across the open sea. Then, once he gets to England, he'll travel to the Netherlands by land. He's packed several months' worth of provisions. Food, water, the basics, his notebook, and of course, his camera to photograph the adventure. If he's doing his math correctly, the whole trip should take about two to three months. Now, Basian is a pretty experienced sailor. He's even gone on at least one transatlantic voyage before. Years ago, he acted as the skipper on a boat sailing from Morocco to California. The trip didn't go exactly as planned. The ship had to be rescued twice, but he ultimately made it there in one piece, so it was still another notch in his belt. The thing is, Basian's never done anything like this trip before. He's going to be completely alone on a tiny sailboat called the Ocean Wave. If he makes it to England, it'll be the smallest ship to ever cross the Atlantic. It's no more than 12 and a half feet in length, barely enough room for him to lie down with all the stuff he needs to bring. I have to imagine he wasn't thinking about practicality when he chose his ship. He was thinking about aesthetics. He liked the dramatic image of such a tiny boat floating in the middle of the ocean, like a freckle on the face of the Atlantic. That and he wanted the trip to be a challenge. It was part of the point. Both Basian and his wife Mary Sue have discussed the dangers in no uncertain terms. They're well aware of the risks. But Basian is confident. He's been speaking about the project in total absolutes. It's going to happen. It's going to work. 
When Boss Yan steps on the ocean wave and finally pushes off to start his journey, Mary Sue's there to wish him well, and of course, to take one last photo. The image is haunting, but only because I know what happens next, not because of the picture itself. Actually, it almost looks like Boss Yan's a dad on vacation about to go fishing for the afternoon. He's wearing sunglasses and a bright orange life vest. The boat looks comically small, even cute with its yellow body and crisp white stripes. Basian's hands are busy with some rope, but his gaze is fixed on the camera. He's laughing, or maybe he's saying something to Mary Sue. Either way, he looks confident, comfortable, excited about his continued search for the miraculous. I don't know how long Mary Sue stays on the shore watching Basian sail away but at some point, she gets in her car and drives away. Then, she cries. When she gets home, I imagine Mary starts a mental timer. If everything goes to plan, Basian should arrive in England within two or three months. Of course, there are still plenty of things that could slow down the trip. Currents, harsh winds, storms… But Basian's not entirely cut off from the rest of the world. He has a radio with him to communicate with other ships a radio that works for about a month. Then, on day 30, all signal to and from the ocean wave is lost. It feels like a death sentence. Finding someone who's missing at sea is harder than finding a needle in a haystack. There are over 4 million square miles in the Atlantic. Basian could now be anywhere. And without his coordinates, it's impossible to estimate how he'll be affected by currents or weather patterns. Soon, two months have passed, and then three. And by the time Mary's mental timer runs out, it's looking like something must have gone wrong. Basian's running late. He hasn't made it to England yet. Mary Sue does everything she can to track down her husband. She even reaches out to some friends at different European embassies, telling them to be on the lookout, in case somehow, some way, his boat drifted off course and landed safely in another country. But no one has seen Basian or his tiny ship, and that doesn't change. Even as three months becomes four, becomes five, becomes eight. By month nine, the possibility that she may never get answers about her husband's fate starts to sink in. The explanations may be hopelessly lost, somewhere on the bottom of the ocean, along with her life partner. Then, sometime after the nine-month mark, something is spotted floating off the coast of Ireland. And Mary Sue's world shatters again. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Sax.com. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. On April 18, 1976, sailors on a Spanish fishing trawler noticed a small yellow sailboat about 150 nautical miles off the coast of Ireland. The boat is partially submerged, floating almost completely perpendicular to the water, with its front sticking up in the air and its back submerged. The sailors haul the vessel onto their ship and examine its contents. At first, they don't find much in the cabin, just some nautical equipment and a few cans of spoiled food. But they eventually stumble across some ID cards, four in total. An insurance card, a university ID, a passport, and a driver's license. All of them belong to Bassian Otter. Naturally, people try to piece together what happened to the man who was clearly on board the ship. At a glance, it doesn't look good. Based on the amount of barnacles on the hull, it's clear the boat had been at sea for months. The door to the cabin is battered, there's no life jacket on deck, and there's no sign of Bassian anywhere. As far as I can tell, there's never been any search and rescue mission that attempts to find him. Unfortunately, I imagine officials decide it's not worth it. There's no telling where he went missing, or when. It could have been at any point over those 10 months. All anyone knows is where his boat ended up. In the end, authorities determine Basian Otter must have drowned somewhere along his journey. But there are other possibilities. After all, no one's found Basian, just the boat. He was wearing a life jacket when he was last seen. That could mean he was picked up by another boat and dropped off in a place he never intended to be. Perhaps even now, he's making his way to Amsterdam, just as he planned. Slowly, but surely. Despite what officials say, after his ship's discovery, plenty of theories circulate suggesting Basian could still be alive. And two really catch on. The first is, Basian staged his disappearance as an art piece. It sounds wild, I know, but some people believe it would be pretty in line with his work. And they're not entirely wrong. As I mentioned, Basian was a conceptual artist, which essentially means he focused on themes and ideas. He wasn't necessarily concerned with how something looked, or even how well it was executed. For example, back in college, he did all these drawings on the same single sheet of paper, and by the end of the year, the page was worn and ripped from constant erasing. But for Basian, that was the whole point. What most people would consider art, the sketches he made, were all meant to be temporary. The paper is what remained, and that's what he considered the work of art. He made a lot of different pieces in his lifetime. But after he goes missing, people point to one collection as having themes that are almost prophetic. They're videos he made back in 1970, all in black and white. He called them his Fall series. I'll describe a couple to you, starting with the first one he ever made. 
there's a quaint, single-story white house in the frame. The camera appears to be set up in the backyard, so you're staring at the back of it. There's a screened-in porch, a brick chimney, ivy growing, big bushes, and shrubs. It's Basian's home in Los Angeles. The house itself takes up most of the frame, but there's a strip of clear sky above. When the video starts, Basian enters from the top left, on the roof carrying a small wooden chair. He walks and places it down over so that the front legs are on one side of the roof, closest camera side, and the back legs are on the other. It's precarious. Once Basian sits, everything happens in slow motion. His body keels over and he starts rolling down the roof on his side. There are no gimmicks or camera tricks. It's actually happening. When he gets close to the edge of the roof, he tries to grab the eave, but he tumbles over. His right shoe flies off and he falls into the bushes below. Then the film cuts. The end. Another video in the fall series looks like it's just a scenic shot of a bridge over a canal in Amsterdam at first. Nobody seems to be around, but Asian suddenly appears riding a bike. He loses control almost instantly and drives into the canal, bike and all. In another, he dangles from a precarious tree branch, maybe 20 feet in the air, over a tiny stream. He hangs there for a moment, and then, inevitably, his grip gives out and he falls into the water below. There are more. Falling while using crutches, falling as the wind blows, a heavy rock falling out of his hand in a dark room, shattering the only light source below. According to writer and director Rene Dalder, and other artists interviewed in his documentary, Here is Always Somewhere Else, Basian wanted to explore humans' inability to escape powerful natural forces, like gravity. In each fall video, the camera cuts away right after Basian disappears from view, or shortly after. Like in the first, we don't see him climb out of the bush and brush the leaves off his shirt. The fall is all that matters. It's the only thing we're allowed to see. Like a magic trick, Basian keeps the end hidden. He leaves space for the viewers to draw their own conclusions. Reflecting on his work, people start to think that Basian might have staged his disappearance, essentially as the literal equivalent of a camera cut. There's evidence of everything except for the end. And believe it or not, if he did stage his disappearance, he wouldn't have been the first artist to do it. In 1971, four years before Basian set sail, an artist named Chris Burden intentionally disappeared without a trace. For later exhibits, he displayed an empty glass box above the following description. December 22nd to 24th, 1971. I disappeared without prior notice to anyone. For these three days, my whereabouts were unknown. He named the work Disappearing, and to this day, nobody knows where he went. Then, in 1972, an artist named Jack Goldstein buried himself alive on a hill overlooking a freeway in Los Angeles. He connected a red light above the ground to a stethoscope measuring his heartbeat. Anyone walking by could see the light pulsating to the rhythm of his heart underground, but nobody knew he was there. He named it The Burial. Jack and Chris were Basian's contemporaries. 
They both lived in Los Angeles around the same time as him. They were all doing risky, daring work, toying with the idea of their own absence from the world. Would Basian go so far as to stage his own disappearance? Some people thought he might. Some still think he did. Personally, three days without telling anyone feels cruel. So I have a hard time believing anyone would vanish for months without telling their partner, all in the name of art, let alone forever. Mary Sue holds out hope that her husband might one day come home, but he never does. On January 1st, 1978, about two and a half years after Basian set sail, Mary Sue goes to court and has him declared legally dead. But the theories surrounding his disappearance never go away. And I've saved the most disturbing for last. That Basian's trip was actually a suicide mission. This episode is brought to you by Too Faced Cosmetics and Better Than Sex Mascara. The name literally says it all. This mascara is that good. There is a formula for anyone and everyone available in original, waterproof, and chocolate that thickens, lengthens, and curls to give you all the drama and volume. Or try the new Naturally Better Than Sex. It has a 98% naturally derived formula. Shop Too Faced Better Than Sex Mascara at Sephora today. In 1970, the same year Basian made his Fall series, he created another piece that people still talk about. A black and white photograph of himself crying. His eyes are almost closed, his head is resting in his hand, and a single tear is rolling down his face, ready to drop off his chin. He called it, I'm too sad to tell you. Two years later, he made a new video piece. In it, he's sitting in a chair next to a side table with a lamp on it. In a somber tone, he reads the following text from a book. Suicides find in the falls the savage end they crave. Dash to the rocks below, thrust into wild eddies and currents. Their broken bodies have almost invariably been cast to the surface. He called it the boy who fell over Niagara Falls. It was inspired by the true story of a seven-year-old boy named Roger Woodward who fell out of a boat, went over the falls, and miraculously survived. After Basian goes missing, his friends pour over his journals, trying to make sense of his absence. They find that in one, he wrote, "'The sea, the land, the artist have this great sadness known. They too will be no more.'" If you're looking for clues in Basian's work that he wanted to die when he set sail on July 9th, 1975, you can make the interpretation fit. You can even ascribe appropriate themes to his final series, the one he started but never finished, In Search of the Miraculous. He was an artist searching endlessly and fruitlessly for meaning, who felt lost and adrift at sea, overwhelmed by the forces outside of his control. You could say his death was the camera cutting away, one last time. If you want to find it, it's there. But there are two big problems with this theory. And I'll start with the unfortunate fact that so much of Basian Otter's fame stems from his mysterious ending. 
especially in the art world, people like to romanticize his death, even while discussing the fact that it might have been a suicide. These conversations aren't healthy. They only reinforce an already pervasive, destructive belief that pain is somehow necessary to make art. And it's not. I don't know who needs to hear this, but your trauma is not the most interesting thing about you. Suicide is not art. If Basyan did want to die, he needed help. We should be talking about what could have been done to prevent such a senseless tragedy, rather than adding to a toxic narrative. We should be examining his work on its own, separate from his death. That way, his art can be more than his ending, and his memory can be more grounded in reality. Which brings me to the other problem with this theory. It's highly selective in its interpretation. For starters, it ignores the fact that the trip across the Atlantic was the second chapter in a three-part series, one that Basian had already planned out. He even arranged for a student choir to sing sea shanties when he reached England, and he was supposed to have an exhibit in Amsterdam once he made it there. Not to mention, he had students back in LA, friends all over the world, and a wife waiting for his arrival. From the moment Basian's boat was discovered, Mary Sue was tasked with fielding questions about his disappearance, and she's always maintained that his death was definitely accidental. In a 1976 interview, she said she and Basian talked repeatedly about In Search of the Miraculous. He assured her with total conviction that he planned to complete the voyage. Did he make the trip easy on himself? No, but they both knew that going in. Did the risks he took make some of his friends angry when he didn't make it? Yes, definitely. Sometimes anger is a part of grief. Now, to be clear, I don't blame anyone for considering the possibility that Basian may have wanted to die. In fact, the theory was actually bolstered, at least in part, by people who knew and respected him people who were likely searching for meaning in the wake of a tragic accident, kind of like Basian was with his art. But the truth about Basian's In Search of the Miraculous may be even more interesting and heartbreaking than any theory out there. If you dig past the major headlines about Basian Otter, you'll likely come across some stories about his parents. During World War II, his mother and father risked their lives hiding Jews in their attic. It was an act of heroism that ultimately led to his father's death. Nazi authorities killed him for resisting their genocide. Basian was just two years old at the time. He grew up with his father as a sort of larger-than-life figure hearing all kinds of incredible stories about him, like how his dad once helped stop two different Nazi trains, or how when his father was younger, about Basian's age when Basian left Chatham for England, he decided to ride his bike from a small town on the German-Dutch border all the way to Jerusalem. Basian apparently heard this story a lot. It sounds almost impossible, right? It was a dangerous adventure his father rode a bike across nearly 3,000 miles of rugged terrain, crossing countless borders at a time when politics were constantly shifting, 
just to get to his people's holy land. According to Mary Sue, in all likelihood, it probably wasn't a coincidence that Boss Yan was headed back to his homeland while in search of the miraculous, or that he chose to travel nearly 3,000 miles across treacherous seas using a rather unorthodox mode of transportation. More likely than not, he set out on a 12 and a half foot sailboat to chase a connection with a father he never really knew, who always felt like more of a legend than a man. And rather than embrace the beauty inherent in that search, we turn Basian Otter into myth himself. Next episode. After becoming the victim of a robbery, a college student disappears before they can testify in court. Thank you for listening. In the time it took you to listen to this episode, 30 people disappeared in the United States alone. If you or someone you know needs assistance with a missing person case, please visit seasonofjustice.org. Season of Justice is a nonprofit organization that provides funding to law enforcement agencies and families to help solve cold cases. For full disclosure, I am a member of the board. It's a great resource for both law enforcement and families in order to bring closure to those impacted by unsolved violent crime. You can find all episodes of Disappearances and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Disappearances stars Sarah Turney and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound design by Alex Button with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Disappearances was written by Georgia Hampton, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle and Connor Sampson. Fact-checking by Haley Milliken, and research by Mickey Taylor. To hear more stories hosted by me, check out my other podcast, Voices for Justice. 